about this morning, though, uh, is the fourth week of our Summer at Victory series. How many have been enjoying the series so far? Come on, how many have enjoyed the speakers and the time we've had? Just been an incredible few weeks, just different voices. And I've shared the heart behind this uh, that I've told you guys this before. If you are drinking from one stream, you are in trouble, everybody. All right. So if you the only only influence in your life and the only teaching and the only thing you ever get is from me, then I am very sorry for you. All right. That's what I just feel. I believe that we should have different voices and mentors and things speaking. I have several that speak into my life that I have learned and grown from. And so I think it's important in the life of a believer. And so these last few weeks, we've had different voices, Max kicked it off. Uh, and then Jimmy Withers on that second week and Jason last week, just been an incredible series so far. And I am so excited about this morning as well. Uh, this is Nick Miller is going to come and speak. And if you guys don't know, you guys know, Nick is the worship leader. You guys like, he's just the one that sings the songs. You guys don't know all that Nick does here on the campus. He's also our executive pastor. And so he heads up so many different ministries here on the campus. He's over the small groups that have just thrived in the last few years, just been an incredible job pouring into our small group leaders and into our people as a whole. Uh, Nick is over facilities and the staff. Nick is over so many different things. Somebody's like, what do you do then if Nick does everything? He just... I don't do anything, everybody. That's just what I do. But he just does such an incredible job leading our different teams and overseeing things on the campus, our service orders, and the way that we do things around here has just poured into so many different ministries. And so I thought it was important for you guys to hear from him because uh, Nick has led a few of our prayer nights. He's done some sermons in the past on Wednesdays and during those different things. But I thought it's such an incredible, the word God has put in him uh, has just a different perspective to things, has just an authentic heart before the Lord, loves his family, lives with integrity. I, I cannot say enough things uh, to say, and I don't want to you know, make him embarrassed or anything like that, but man, it has been just a privilege to work alongside of him, to see him minister to God's people, to his church, the way that he lives his life and dedicates himself. And so it's an incredible thing. It's an honor for me to get to introduce him. So come on, everybody. Can we welcome Nick to the stage? Man. Well, good morning. I say good morning. Man, I appreciate that uh, intro is probably a little too nice, but I do appreciate that. I couldn't uh, pass this opportunity right now without just taking just a moment to honor our pastor, Pastor Ben. I, I don't know if you know this, but this is tough. It's tough to come up here every week. I, this is one week for me, but to do this week after week after week, faithfully, faithfully, I, I just want to honor him today and say thank you from me. Thank you from my family we appreciate you, Pastor Ben, Alyssa, and your family. We just bless you today. Can we honor him today? Seriously. We are blessed. We are so blessed. Look, I don't know if you know this about Pastor Ben, but he, um, as the last name Workman would imply, he can work. And uh, he has some of the funniest stories where he'll go and help someone, help someone do this or that, just some crazy stuff. Well, guess what? I was that guy one time who enlisted on the help of Pastor Ben. Uh-oh. <laughs> so I I'm, uh, was remodeling my house and uh, it, it came the time where I needed to change out my attic door. Swap the attic door, no big deal. Two, three, four months later come around and I realize my water heater needs to be swapped out. So I'm up in my attic messing this and that, doing all this kind of stuff. And I'm looking at this water heater and I'm looking at the attic door. I have messed up. I want to just help somebody right now. There are different size attic doors. Did you know that? <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I measured it. It's not going to fit. Keep the story short. 
I finally figured out a way out of it. We were already remodeling the bathroom and we opened up a, a place that we're going to bring it down through the bathroom because I don't want it in the attic anymore. I'm going to take it out. But I realized this thing is heavy. Did you know that? And so I enlisted on the help of the two strongest guys that I know, Pastor Ben and Zach Johnson. <laughs> and so they come over there pumped like, man, what are we doing? Make your remodel. It's so cool. They're just, they're pumped. They, they're just, what's the plan? What's the plan? We're, we're standing in this bathroom. And I'm like, look, I think the most dangerous place to be is underneath this heavy object. And they're like, no way. I refuse to go in your attic. That is, this is your house. You need to get that. I don't know what the logic was, but that's how it happened. So here I am up in the attic and I'm looking down through just, just the hole. I can, all I can just see just a little bit down there and I see them I'm like, y'all ready? And all I see is like hands. I don't see any bodies. I don't see nothing. Well, yeah, yeah, but it's, it's no problem. No problem. So I'm, I'm like, there's no way. So I reach down there and both of them are going. And I'm like, do you, you really think you, are you sure? And they're like, absolutely, no problem, no big deal. Just send it on down. Okay, we go back and forth. Okay, guys. So here I am. I'm like, oh, okay, here it goes. One, two, three, boom. It didn't even, it didn't, I'm pretty sure as I was counting, they just stepped back. Nothing. It just smashed on the ground, fell over, broke a door. Why do I tell this story? One, because it's funny. <laughs> Two, because have you ever done this before where you, you thought something was going to work out one way and it, it didn't. <laughs> it did not work out as I thought it was. And today's sermon title is Living with Hope. Living with Hope. Hope And my question that I'll ask you to, to think on today as we're going through this is, do you have hope? Do you have hope? When I ask that question, I think that there's probably immediately a group of people in here who would answer no. I don't have hope. And they would begin to list off circumstances. They begin to list off thing after thing and this in the world and this in my life and this. And they would just begin to, to name all these things and their answer would be no. I don't have hope. And I want to speak to you today. I think there'd be people here who would say, yes, I have hope. But I'm afraid that sometimes in this world, in the way that things happen, we end up putting our hope in something and we feel as if we have hope. But it's false. It's a false hope. And if we can do that today, we're going to do that by looking at the book of 1 Peter. Not the entire book, but just a little bit of the beginning. And as I've studied this over the past few months, actually, it's just been something that this book has just like really hit me. And I see the similarities between us and our culture and them. Though they'd be so far apart in time, we, we have so much in our culture that I feel like is similar. And I, I hope to... I hope that you can see that in the next few moments. Before we start actually reading, though, I want to give just a little context, just so you understand that Peter is writing to these churches. He's not just writing to one church, like sometimes you'll see. He's writing to several churches that are scattered throughout the region of what is now modern-day Turkey. Why are they scattered? Why are they scattered throughout? The reason they're scattered throughout is because this is about 30, 40-ish years 
after Jesus has died, he's been buried, he's resurrected. Like they, there's people in this group who very well may have seen that or known people who were first, you know, they saw these things. But now times have changed and persecution is great. Extreme persecution, right? Death and, and torture and just like all these, these horrible Horrible things, and it's scattering the church throughout this region. And Peter is writing this letter, and it's being sent around to these churches. So I want you to know, the people who receive this letter, that's where they are in their life. They're scattered throughout in the midst of a world that is full of extreme persecution. So we're going to read together in 1 Peter 1. 1. And it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as strangers scattered throughout. Strangers scattered throughout. There's some translations that might use the word exiles instead of strangers. Foreigners, pilgrims, refugees. They very much understood where they were. I don't think they were very comfortable. And I think if I asked them the question, do you feel at home in this foreign land? Their answer would be no. Because they were not at home. They were not at home. And so my question is for you today, do you feel at home? Do you feel at home? Now, let me preface that by saying when I'm at my house with my kids and my wife, I'm at home. I'm good. I'm happy. Like, I love it. When I'm here at church, I love it. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. It's not what I'm talking about. And I want to read this scripture together out of John to show you where I'm going with this. To get us started, to get us in the right frame of mind. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Woo! Anybody want that on their, on their refrigerator? <laughs> That's rough. But this is the perspective of the Christian. You are not of the world. You are not of the world, but sometimes in our modern day living, we get so comfy, we get so happy, and we get so at ease, and we begin to feel at home by the things that are around us. You know, you don't have to think very hard at all over the past year or two or decades even to see how basic Christian beliefs are now just completely laughed at. They're mocked, they're ridiculed, they're even called hatred. They're even called violence. That you would say that? You believe you actually believe that? And it's basic Christian principles. This is what I mean about do you feel at home? Because when we're in the world, when we're when we're out and about, we should stick we should not just fit right in in every situation. But I think sometimes we get so at home. And what I'm afraid is that we miss our hope because of good circumstances. We miss true hope because we have it pretty good. Just as the church of that day was scattered in a foreign land, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting you to, to view yourself Obviously, it's not the same. Not at all trying to make that comparison. We are blessed. We are so blessed to be here and be able to just preach the word of God, to be able to worship. And we are, we're not afraid for our lives. I'm not trying to just move past that. But we are not at home. 
And when Peter wrote those words today, I believe he was speaking to them, but I believe he was speaking to you. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can't explain how he does that, but the Holy Spirit does. These words are for us today. Amen? All right. So we're going to kind of move through quickly. You kind of see where we are, right? And Peter knows exactly where they are because he is in great persecution too. He knows how hard things are. And he's writing this letter to the church to help them, to direct them, to give guidance. In verses 3 3 through 12, rather than reading them, I just want to give you a brief summary. And what's amazing about 3 through 12 is he doesn't really tell them to do anything. He doesn't tell them to act a certain way or do anything in particular. All he does is exhort and just raise up what God has done. And what I'm asking you to think about is sometimes before we do anything, we have to remember what God has done. In order that we look forward, we have to look back. And I think you'll see that in the scripture. But this is the part here that Peter meets in the first thing he says in their, in their, their place of not being at home, in their place of being in trials and tribulation. He says these things, and I'm just going to summarize them. He says that he is a God of great mercy. This is our God. He says that we are born again into a living hope. He says that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. He says that we are being guarded by God's power. He says that we have salvation. He says that we are of joy that is inexpressible. And he says that there is good news to you by the Holy Spirit. This was written to them. And that, again, because of their circumstances, they might read that and go, ah, fresh air. But I'm afraid sometimes when we read things like this in our world, we go, cool. I want to read that again. And I want you to know that the Lord this morning is saying this, not just to the people of that day, but he's saying it to you. He's saying it to me. There is great mercy for you. You have been born again into a living hope, Christian. You have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. You are being guarded by God. There is salvation. There is joy that is inexpressible. There is good news to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is to you today. This is how he starts. I hope that sets in. I hope you see why Peter did that. It's important. It's so important. But here we're going to finally get to the, which is really the verse of the day. is 1 Peter 1, 13. And this is the first command. This is the first time he really like tells them to do something. Tells them to, an action or to go forth and do this. Look, I've been in trials and tribulations before. I know the kind of weird stuff that we did. Anybody remember Y2K? Look. When, when tough times are coming, you know what you do? You get thousands of pounds of beans. That's what you do. And you just stock your back room. Does anybody still have the beans? Because we didn't use them. Peter doesn't have a bunch of weird advice like that. He doesn't say go stock up on your sores. Let's all just sit this thing out, ride it low, let culture go completely nuts. He, he, he tells them something. He reminds them what God has done. And this verse is the first time that he really says, do this. Do this. So let's read it together. First Peter. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully. 
Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, the revelation of Jesus Christ is referring to him in the future, the second coming. But right here, he says, therefore, set your hope fully. And I want to talk about this hope that we set this morning. Now, you have to forgive me. This word right here, therefore... The first time I ever got this great advice, it was by somebody with a very strong accent. And this is how it works in my head. And it goes like this. When you see the word therefore, you ought to see what is there for. <laughs> a lot of wisdom actually by this old country guy, but it was true. When the word therefore is there, it's there for a reason. What do I mean by that? What I'm saying is the word therefore often connects a past thought to something that's about to be said. Another way to say it is if you want to understand what I'm about to say, you have to understand what I just said or this is connected to that. Do you see? Therefore, therefore, this is directly after 3 through 12 that I just read and summarized to you. And he says this. It's almost like because, because of God's great mercy... Set your hope fully on him. Because God has put you born into a living hope, set your hope fully. He's connecting what he just said to what he's about to say. And what it is that he's about to say is, set your hope fully. Because of his mercy, because of his grace, because of this inheritance, now we can set our hope. This is hope. I want to talk about the word hope for just one moment. What is hope? What is hope? It's a little tough because in modern day English, the word hope kind of gets, we just don't use it in a similar way at all than the way that is biblical hope. Let me give you an example. I hope it doesn't rain today. Okay, well, in that saying, I hope it doesn't, it implies that it might rain today. There's this negative side to the word hope in the English language. Another example, someone might say, are we going to make it on time? And they say, I hope so. Right? It's this idea that hope is like, well, we might not. That is not biblical hope. I want you to see today what the Bible and God means by hope. And it's not the way that we've translated it into the English language. It's something different. You see, biblical hope has more to do with waiting. Biblical hope has something to do with confident expectation. This is hope. This right here is from uh, the definition for hope. Or as you look it up in the Greek, this is what it says. And I love what it says here. It says to wait for salvation. I could have just stopped there, but it's more than that. To wait for salvation with joy and full confidence. This is hope. This is hope. It's not just I hope it don't rain. I hope Jesus helped my family. It is hope that is full of confidence. Amen. I need your help with something this morning. Because I want this to get stuck in your head. Because what I see as I read this text is that worldly hopes are based on circumstances. But biblical hope is based on Jesus. Did you see that? Worldly hope is based on circumstances, but biblical hope is based on Jesus. And I need your help this morning to get this stuck in your head. And what we're going to do here is they're going to put this phrase up that says, set your hope fully. That's from the verse we just read. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to say something and I need you to say, set your hope 
fully. We're going to practice it because I'm a music minister. We need to be in time. Okay. So I'm going to say one, two, three. One, two, three. Set your hope fully. Are you ready? When you are in the midst of a trial. When LSU wins or loses. When you are in five o'clock traffic. When you are lost and unsure. When the doctor's report is bad. When your world is falling apart. And at all times. Do you see it? Hope for the Christian is eternal. It's forever. I think sometimes in our modern world, we've put the cart before the horse. We've said that circumstances are for hope. But it's the other way around. Hope is for circumstances. See, the hope of Jesus does not depend on your earthly circumstances. It doesn't depend on your job. It doesn't depend on your spouse. It doesn't depend on popularity, your bank account, 401ks, politicians, or governments. The hope of Jesus depends on something that is already done. Jesus came to earth. He took your sin and died on a cross, rose again, ascended into heaven. And if you put your hope in him, you will have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. This is hope, church. Do you see it today? This is the hope of God. Hope in Jesus alone. Hope is a person. Hope is Jesus. Jesus. But hold on. I know some of those biblical scholar people out there are like, you skipped words in the verses. We're going to talk about them. All right. See, this hope is meant to be fully present every day, every moment. And Peter knows that. Let's put the scripture back up. Different words, same scripture, different words highlighted here. And we're going to talk about them and see how they make sense of this hope. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully. See, he didn't have to put that. He could have just said, therefore, set your hope fully. But he puts this here on purpose. I think he put it here for a reason. See, before he really even gets to the hope, he says, your mind. Set your mind on this hope. Set your mind on this hope. I love how Peter does this because I think in our day and age... We totally miss this. We totally miss this. So here we are. As it says, have you set your mind fully on Jesus? And you may have just said, after all that time of building this up and saying that hope is in Jesus alone, you might be saying, I thought you said hope was Jesus alone. Why are you adding something to it? I'm not adding anything to it. You are correct. Hope is in Jesus alone. But what good is it if it's not on our minds? If it's just some far away distant thing. If we all come here today and we're like, woo, Jesus is awesome, man. All right, let's go to Piccadilly. We got work tomorrow. Let's move on. Be back next week, whatever. It won't do any good. It won't do any good. And Peter is commanding them to think on hope. I don't know if you know this, but when, when your mind isn't right, you can do some goofball stuff. 
I got to tell you a story. My first job interview out of college. Woo. There was some goofball stuff going on. You see, my first college, my first interview after college was at a building in New Orleans at 7 o'clock in the morning. And as a young 20-whatever-year-old, I probably should have gone to bed early the night before, but did I? No. It's early. I'm driving. It's dark outside because I was trying to be you know, looking at the, the Garmin GPS, trying to get there on time. And I'm like, okay, I should be fine. We're getting closer and closer. I'm a young, younger person. I haven't driven on a ton of traffic, you know, Baton Rouge traffic. But when you got down there, it was like lanes, like wide. I'm like, look at all these cars. This is crazy. I was so just like flabbergasted. I couldn't. And so I'm going, I'm getting more and more nervous about this about this interview, and I'm not paying attention well, and do you know what happened next is, I missed my exit. No big deal, I'm already like five minutes-ish early, I'll just get off at the next exit, ha. I'm going, next exit, I'm turning, I'm turning, we're going up, it's a bridge! Ah! I'm now going over the Mississippi River in New Orleans. Some of you are like, I know that exit. <laughs> I'm across the bridge now at whatever time early in the morning. It start, I'm like, I'm late. I'm late. I'm a failure. Find a way to turn around. I'm going back up the bridge, up the bridge. We're stopping on the bridge. Why are we stopping on the bridge? It's a toll. You have to pay a toll. And guess what it says? Cash only. How much do you think my 20 something year old self had? Zero. I had nothing. So I pull up and I'm like, hi, I'm uh, actually already late for an interview. It's very important to me. I don't have any cash. Can I just go? And you know what they said? No. <laughs> what am I going to do? I'm just going to sit here. Are you serious? Okay. And sure enough, after honking and a few minutes later, someone walks up and they had some very encouraging words for me and they paid <laughs> and I got to go. <laughs> I wasn't thinking too clearly. I was so like, oh, I'm going to be 30 minutes late for my first interview. I get there. I park. I'm just, oh, I'm just grabbing my resume, grabbing whatever. I'm going to run inside the building, meet this guy. I'm like, hey, I'm really late. And he's like, oh my goodness. Let me go see if they'll see you or not. The lady was nice enough to see me. I'm so flustered. I get into this interview and I'm sitting across the desk. We're, you know, pretty close. And she's talking. She's being nice. Basic questions. But I went to business school. I know how to do an interview. My first one. I'm basically an expert at this point. And I, I, when it, see, what we were taught is when the questions get hard to show respect and show that you, you're in it to win it, right? You take out your notepad and you take notes. So questions are starting to get hard. I'm like, oh, ha, ha, ha. Take my notepad out. And I take my hand and I put it in my pocket pull out my pen and guess what there's no pen in my rushing in my not paying attention i left it in the truck and so what did i do in this moment you know exactly what i did i pulled my hand out in the shape that i was holding a pen and i began to go mm-hmm mm-hmm about 20 seconds goes by and this lady honest honest she says you do realize I can see you don't have a pen. <laughs> yes, ma'am. 
I know you're probably all wondering, I did not get the job. <laughs> um, <laughs> look, when our minds are not in the right place, we can do some off-the-wall stuff. And what I'm wanting you to get out of these verses is a statement that is so... Oh, it's been on my mind lately. There is a battle for your mind. You may not realize it, but there is a battle for your mind. And the reason I think is, is because if the enemy can get your mind, he'll get your heart and he'll get your actions. If the enemy can get your mind, he'll get your heart and then he'll get your actions. He wants to distract us. And yet again, if we could put that scripture back up, these phrases are something they would have understood because of, their, because of their modern day, what they were going. They were phrases that meant something that don't really mean too much to us. The first one is preparing your minds for action. This was actually a word picture. It was a picture of, of something the way that men would dress in the day. It was like this long flowing gown looking thing, right? It went all the way down here. And if, if as you were going just like normal day-to-day life, you would wear something like this. If you're just walking around, casual, we're just chilling, right? It's this normal day. But they would have this procedure where they would wrap it up around their legs and tuck it into their belts whenever they were ready to work. Whenever they were ready to go, whenever they were ready to fight, they would wrap this thing up. And what Peter says here is to do that with your mind. Go from the casual to alert. Preparing your minds for action. Thinking intentionally and being alert. The second picture is this. Being sober minded. It's not necessarily talking about alcohol here. But what it's talking about is thinking clearly, not being intoxicated in your mind, being able to think clearly. And what I, I, the reason I'm so passionate about this is because I feel like the enemy is so good at this and we're so disillusioned by this that we don't even realize that we're disillusioned by it. You ever, if you talk to somebody who's a little crazy, they don't realize they're crazy. That's because they're crazy. This doesn't make sense. Like, <clears throat> whoo. I want you to see this morning, if I'm being honest, in our world, we are so distracted. We are so just all over the place. Media, just junk, just stuff. I I, I hate to say it, but these weird things in our pocket, these phones, they're making our minds not think clear. We are not prepared for action. And what Peter says to this group of people who is not at home in a world facing persecution, he says, set your mind on hope. But if your mind is preoccupied on junk, I'm afraid we might miss it. I'm afraid we might miss it. And this morning, I'm begging with you and pleading with you to begin To check out where your hope is. Is it on circumstances? Or is it on Jesus? And as you move into that. Think on it. Be alert. Be alert. Thinking about those things through verse 12. Right? God's mercy. I want to be thinking clearly about God's mercy. 
I want to be thinking clearly and alert that I have been born again into a living hope. I want to be thinking clearly about the inheritance that God, this is where Peter brings. I know the world is wild and crazy and this is that. And he's like, oh, bring it down. Bring it down. Focus on your hope. Because true hope is Jesus and he never fades, he never changes. Still good today. He was great and mighty and powerful back then and I believe with all my heart he is still good today. His hope is new. His hope is great and mighty. I want to look at just a few verses as we begin to kind of close out. This first verse is in Isaiah. Isaiah forty thirty one. It says, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Some of you may be familiar with this verse or have it translated in, in other translations in your memory. You'll remember that it says, those who wait. Those who wait on the Lord. This again, this is back to that definition from earlier. It's not just a wait and hanging around. It is a confidence expectation. This is the NIV that translated hope. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Does anybody need strength today? Does anybody want to soar on wings like eagles? Run, not grow real. Walk and not be faint. This is for us, and that is the hope of the Lord today. This next scripture is what honestly originally brought me to the idea of preaching about this today. And it's later on in the chapter, and we do not have time to unpack it. There's so much in this verse. But I couldn't pass the opportunity to read this verse today, especially as we go into seven days of prayer. Setting our minds on hope. And you'll see this, this wording is incredibly similar. It's slightly different words, but it is incredibly similar in meaning. And it says, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Why? For the sake of your prayers. Peter understands something about prayer today that it's, we are setting our minds we are praying to the Lord today. We, are, we, we put our hope in the Lord. And I just can't think of a more practical way, a more just easy, practical way to set your hope this week is to come and pray. Pray. And when you think you're done, pray some more. Like, just keep praying and praying. Oh, I wish we had more time for that. My question at the beginning of the day was this. Do you have hope? Do you have hope? As I've been talking today, you may have been thinking, I think I've put my hope in something false. My encouragement to you is to begin right now, right here, to put your hope in Jesus and Jesus alone. I know for me, I I, I see this in my life. I'm putting my hope here. Hold on. No, it's the hope of Jesus. It's the hope of Jesus and Jesus alone. I can't put my hope in that because it fades. Jesus. There's another group of people who I was talking to is that is the people I said, when you have, do you have hope? And they just, I got nothing. Not just because of circumstances, but all this stuff you're talking about with Jesus, all this living hope, all this uh, mercy and all that. I've got nothing. And I want to say to you today that this hope is not just for me. 
It's not just for all the people around you. This hope is freely available to you right here, right now, today. See, Jesus died on a cross for you. He loves you more than you can possibly imagine. He loves you. And if you set your hope in him, there is an inheritance for you that is great. His mercy is great. And and today what I want to do is I want to just pray over these two groups. So if you could, could we all just stand on our feet right now? We're just going to pray together. Why don't you just bow your heads right where you are. Jesus, we look to you and you alone and we, we, we cast down all these other idols. We put down all these other things that we have put in the place of hope and we put you in your rightful place. You are hope and the only hope worth having. Jesus, as a church, as individuals, as families, could we put our hope in you today that it would be everlasting through every season. We put our hope to you. To the second group who has no hope, I would invite you now to just make this change in your heart. It's not just the words. We're going to pray in just a moment. It's not just the words. It's your heart. And I want you to know that Jesus, you're sitting there thinking, but I did this and and this and that. and Things are bad and I'm bad. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It's not the circumstance. It has everything to do with Jesus. If you'll give him your heart today, if you'll give him your life today, he will fill you with grace and mercy. So if that's for you today, I want to pray in church. Can we just pray with him? Just repeat after me. Lord, I confess I need you. I believe you are Lord. I give you my life. Save me. Fill me with your living hope. Jesus, we thank you today that you are still saving lives, changing people. And I thank you, Lord, for everyone under the sound of my voice today who would love you and put their hope in you. I want to sing this chorus just real quick. It says, hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. So everyone with one voice, let's sing this together. Hallelujah. Come on. Oh, hallelujah, praise the one who set me free, hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me, you have broken every chain, there's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my Come on, one more time. Let's lift this to Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living. Oh, say that. Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus Christ, my living hope. One more time, say, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Come on, let's give God praise today. He's good, He's mighty, He's at work today. Amen, church.